Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm Vince Saracci, uh, President and CEO of Cucho Copper Corp. We are a development stage uh, copper zinc uh, uh, asset or based company here in British Columbia. Um, in Vancouver, we have our asset. Uh, it is located in British Columbia, a mining friendly jurisdiction in BC. Um, that's northeastern BC. Um, we are proximal to a number of um, uh, operating or development stage companies as well. And we are amidst completing our feasibility study and looking forward to uh, advancing this project through permitting and eventually uh, construction and production. Hey, Vince, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate that. Um, we're trying to find uh, good copper stories. We're going to find out today if you're, if you're one of them. Um, we better get a little bit of background, though, first. So what's your background? I've been in the, I've been in the capital markets for about 25 years um, and, you know, specifically doing in the last 15 years, um, resource companies uh, putting together, um, you know, I guess uh, opportunities that we see we can advance and Cucho Copper specifically um, was one of them that we saw about three years ago, <clears throat> as I, I've liked the copper market for some time now myself. Um, and, you know, we saw this advanced stage asset that was um, kind of getting no love uh, and sitting kind of dormant um, in, uh, in Capstone's basement, if you will. You know, it's been around for some time um, and never really kind of uh, saw the light of day. So this was something uh, and, and, you know, that was, um, you know, my role and what I've done. I've helped companies kind of, um, you know, develop um, assets, raise money um, and move them forward to some point of exit. So tell me about that. You used a phrase there. It wasn't getting any love. I mean, you're 76 million market cap today, you know, up from the lows of, 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 of 2020. It's still small, right? It's, it's a small scale project. Is, is that the problem or is the fact that this thing's been going on for so long that people are kind of tired of the story and moved on elsewhere? That's a very good point and observation. So <clears throat> Cucho, the asset um you know, it was discovered way back in the day. It was a fragmented, um, I guess, uh, discovery with, it was a Sumitomo and some other groups um, that had um, made, made this discovery, but it was a fragmented land position. And so, you know, it was only really kind of consolidated and put together in the very early 2000s by a junior resource company here in Vancouver. Um, and, that's when it started kind of getting advanced. It got advanced, it had its first kind of PEA done on this project uh, in, that, in that early to mid 2000s. <clears throat> so it was consolidated and it was kind of shown to be something that um, was very interesting to move forward. They, um, they ran into some financial problems uh, in the mid 2000s, but interestingly enough, a company called Sherwood Copper, um, which had just put a project called Minto into production and it was led by Stephen Quinn, um, saw the opportunity and he acquired um, uh, the, the Kucho project um, from Western Celtic. That's who held it at the time. So Stephen had this philosophy where he was going to move, he wanted to advance the company with these, call it smaller, low capital, high margin assets. That's how he wanted to grow Sherwood Copper and was doing a great job, did a fantastic job putting Minto into production. Um, and Kucho was next. It was the pipeline project. In about the mid to late 2000s, shortly thereafter, um, Capstone and Sherwood Copper merged. Um, 
let's say Darren and Steven had two different philosophies on how they wanted to grow the company. Um, Darren wanted to take bigger bites out of industry. He went on to uh, acquire Santa Domingo, Pinto Valley, and that was kind of the path forward. Um, so Cucho at that point didn't really fit that philosophy. Uh, Stephen and Darren parted ways. Stephen Quinn um, went on to basically run Midas Gold uh, for some time in the years after. And um, Cucho really kind of was at this point in its cycle where Capstone was preparing a pre-feasibility, but like I said, it just was not something that they really were concerned about. So they kind of kind of you know quickly finished that pre-feasibility and shelved it. So it just got thrown in the basement. <clears throat> the project, you know, then they did try to sell it in 2014. Um, it wasn't a very good year for copper. Um, they did have a very uh, number of interested parties, but they weren't, uh, they didn't get the price point they wanted. So they basically shelved it again. Um, and, you know, what, so what happened with this asset is that it passed through a lot of hands over a, many years and never really kind of got brought to any point of fruition where people could like really understand it or wrap their arms around it. You know, I would suggest even that pre-feasibility study that was done in 2010, you know, it was not done properly, let's say. It was, it was not done to, you know, completion or where it was, you know, there, was, there were a lot of holes in it, let's say. And when we were out looking for an advanced age asset in the copper space, and I knew the guys at Capstone, and I knew this was there, you know, we took a hard look at it. And we saw all this opportunity. We saw all this opportunity that, you know, I guess, you know, um, was kind of left on the table. Um, and so that's why we pursued it. We saw opportunity and the ability to kind of grow or, or scale the size of the asset. You know, obviously what attracted us to it immediately was the high grade um, that, that was reported in this. And, you know, they had 10 million tons in reserves at just under 3% copper equivalent um, in a mining friendly, friendly jurisdiction. Um, so we pursued it. And again, we saw opportunity in everything from enhancing metallurgical performance, um, from growing this project to scale, um, you know, and really loved the fact that, you know, it, like I said, it had the grade, it was low capital, it was something that we think, you know, the market would like. And so we, as we moved down that path, we simply negotiated a price with Capstone. And that was around 20, $28 million Canadian in cash. Um, and in order to facilitate that, um, we also brought in a partner in Wheaton Precious Metals. Um, and that was a multi-prong approach. So Wheaton came in, they liked the asset. Um, they, we did a stream with Wheaton on the precious metal component of the asset, which was only about 8% of the revenue of the project. So we didn't find the stream encumbering on the primary commodities, if you will, on the, on the copper and the zinc. And they participated in the equity round. They also did a $20 million convertible loan to us to help us acquire the asset. So it speaks to their conviction and, and their, you know, they, they like the, and as we all know, Wheaton's got a very good technical team. So they looked at this thing and saw the opportunity that we did as well. <clears throat> and so that was in December of 2017. We, uh, we closed the transaction. And essentially the strategy that we employed um, was, you know, the quickest path to feasibility study, permitting, and production. And we believed that this would eventually be, you know, in production. And so we spent 2018 <clears throat> in the field, really um, closing all the gaps. 
So, you know, re-engaging on the permitting side, um, you know, getting all the baseline studies and everything kind of that we needed to um, ready for the permitting process. We went in and basically did some resource expansion drilling. We did the required metallurgical drilling and geotechnical drilling, everything ready to feed into the feasibility study to really get that going. And so that was all of 2018. And in 2019, um, we started kind of putting all that data together, um, working towards the fees. Now, as we all know, you know, 18 and 19 and, you know, parts of 20 were not the best markets, uh, especially on the base metal side. We were going through this little thing called the trade war with China and the U.S. And, you know, kind of people were not too um, excited about the uh, future of base metals and copper. <clears throat> but, um, you know, so we, we took our time. Uh, I'm very um, sensitive to, you know, maintaining capital structures within companies. Um, so never wanted to blow that up. Um, and so we raised enough money and uh, we're patient in kind of, you know, getting ourselves prepared uh, for moving to the next phases of the company's life cycle. And, you know, we, we really kind of got this thing going. Um, was it uh, early parts of uh, last year or middle of last year when the markets came back online post COVID? I was able to raise some money at reasonable prices and we, you know, we really kicked things off with the feasibility study. Uh, and again, as you started this conversation with, um, this is going to be a significant milestone for the company because of its life cycle, <clears throat> because of how it's kind of been around for a long time and because it's kind of almost, almost uh, an untrusted asset because there's been so much information out there through different parties and no one really kind of taking that to complete fruition. Um, you know, this is going to be it. And, you know, we've got a very credible engineering firm with CSA Global that's doing our feasibility study. Um, we've got, you know, a good team in place, someone, you know, that we care about this asset. We're going to do a great job in moving it forward. So, you know, I think um, on completion of this feasibility study, which, <clears throat> you know, I think is going to be within the next six weeks or so, um, it's going to finally show this asset in a, um, in a, in a, in a very comprehensive, um, you know, kind of uh, final trusting, um, you know, state, if you will, um, that it's never been shown before. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a significant, uh, significant um, uh, shift for the company in the asset. Okay. Thanks for that fulsome answer in terms of the history and how you've kind of got to where you are. Now, and I do want to talk about the feasibility. Well, certainly the announcement about the fact that the feasibility study will be coming through in October. So, you know, it's, you know, it's noted that you are advancing it. Because I think the interesting bit in there for me is the move from under, uh, underground to potentially open pit on, 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 on some of the, the, the property. So that's exciting in terms of economics. But I just want to sort of come back because it's mining's never easy. And sometimes with stories like this, it's very easy for people to go, oh, it's just a retread story. It didn't work before. It's not going to work going forward, right? So you're starting on the back foot here, right? So that, that's the trick. So what, what you see and what the market believes are two different things. Um, with Wheaton coming in, that was, that was a big coup in 2017. But do, do you feel that potentially is another issue for you going forward? Because they could convert up to, up, you know, and, and be up to 27% owners. I know they're not there. Now, but you, you've just you've obviously um, renegotiated or deferred interest on on the debenture with them. Is that another problem that the that you're having to overcome? I let's let's um, let's set the stage with Wheaton. Wheaton is interested in their business model, and I think we can all see that. Um, just look at the history. 
Um, they're not interested in equity ownership. They don't want to own assets. They want to own the stream. That's their that's their thing. They helped us. Um, they like this asset, and you know, at the time, raising you know twenty eight million dollars Canadian was difficult for anybody. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. They helped us um, with that. So, as far as and and then they actually participated on the equity piece of the financing as well, like doing about four million bucks. So they're not. Um, they don't want to own this. They never have. They never will. They've helped us all along to really move this forward. And I've had many conversations with them over the last couple of years. And yes, this debt is out there. And I think um, that we're going to find a very creative way um, to deal with that. Um, and that will be, you know, around feasibility study, because that's when they have to formally make their election to, to elect into the stream. Um, now, trust me, I've been working very closely with them over the last couple of years. I've been their technical team has been working with us over the last couple of years on this asset. Um, their, their technical team helped us through our completely revised MET program, and they were fantastic. They're very, very good. Um, so they know a lot about this already. They've not been in the dark any of the point in time through the last two years. So, you know, I don't see it as a problem. I actually don't know that they're, I, I don't think they would convert. That's just not their MO. That's not what they do. Um, and so, again, I think that's something that, um, you know, I've, we've been talking about and we will find a, a creative solution uh, to lifting that. Right. So, so they are, okay, I buy that. So in terms of the um, deferred interest payments, obviously that will be rolled up and, 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 and accrued. At what point is it deferred to? Sorry, it wasn't quite clear there. Uh, until 2023, the end of right. 2023. That's right. So I remember that now. Okay, fine. And 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 anything punitive, or was it just you know run of the mill interest payment, single digit? Run of the mill. You know, run of the mill. So yeah, you know, I'm hoping to have uh, I'm hoping to have that that situation um, restructured, and um, I guess you know um, that overhang or that potential overhang or optic. Um, you know, really taken care of. I'm gonna my targets the end of this year, right? You know, and, after just short. Right, you use a good phrase there. The, the, it's the optics. You've got to manage the optics for the for the market here, and I appreciate that's the those are the small fires that you as a CEO need to deal with, right? So it's, it's the optics. The reality may be different. Okay, I appreciate that. Again, coming back to Wheaton, some of the terms of that deal were about you. Getting to four and a half thousand ton per day. You're, you're obviously the 2017 PFS is talking about two and a half thousand ton per day. What's the feasibility going to come back with? Well, that was part of the press release we put out yesterday, and um, we've uh, because of our move to this open pit scenario on the main lens, which is <clears throat> which is most of the tonnage, if you will, um, we're able to increase throughput. And so, you know, we've said to market now that we are targeting uh, 4,500 ton per day production. And as you know, you, you, you've noticed that kicks in about a $20 million US bonus with wheat and precious metals. So let's just say that's one opportunity um, when you're thinking about debt restructuring or things like that. But there's a number of levers that, you know, add to the potential to, you know, taking care of the situation we discussed earlier. But so, yes, and, you know, I'll just add another point to that. Um, we intentionally modeled the throughput 
to stay below 5,000 tons per day because um, that only requires provincial permitting. That's the trigger, that's the threshold. When you're over 5,000 tons per day, you, you then trigger a federal review process in Canada. So it works out well uh, from a number of different scenarios to have that throughput targeted at 4,500 tons per day. Okay, and can you, can you give us any sense of the economics well, from, from the feasibility study? I don't know how much work you've done on the various aspects, but you're gonna come up with a definitive number. Is this thing going to make money or is it just a good deal for Wheaton? I've got to be very careful um, what I say here. So unfortunately, most people are going to have to wait to see the numbers um, because obviously feasibility studies are very, very sensitive and the data is very sensitive. We've tried to put out everything we can in the press release yesterday to update the market to what we're seeing and what's going on. Um, I think this is going to make money. I think this is going to be a very robust project. I think if you look at, you know, I don't want to point people to the pre-fees because it has been turned on its head. You know, that pre-feasibility study, and this was another, you know, going back to what, you know, when we acquired the asset and we were working the asset and advancing the asset, and we had all these completely different ideas about mining methodology and mine planning and, you know, all the results that we've, I mean, go back and look at what we've done with the MET program. And so, you know, as I'm talking to the investor audience out there, everyone's like, well, hold on a sec. So you're telling me that the fees is not going to look anything like the pre-fees? Yes, I am. Well, then it's like, okay, I think we need to wait and see because you just told us that a very trusted document, the pre-fees, isn't going to look anything like the feasibility study. And we had the same, we had the same, we had the same issue with the PEA. You know, so this is something where the PEA, the pre-fees didn't look like anything like the PEA. And we're telling the market, no, we're going to make everything better in the fees. So again, this is I, 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 it's part of the problem, but part of the opportunity where, you know, the feasibility study, I think for the first time is going to show this in the light that it should be shown. But um, so back to your question, listen, I think, you know, if you look at the pre-fees and you look at the sensitivity analysis and the pre-fees, it was priced at 275 copper. Um, you know, this thing, this thing would have been put into production at 250 copper. Okay. Um, then everything else from there is upside. And I don't think those metrics are going to change. I think this project is going to be robust at cheaper copper prices. Uh, and I think it's going to be extremely robust at uh, current copper prices. Well, yeah, I mean, cop copper's done a lot of heavy lifting for you over the past few months uh, and hopefully can will continue to. Um, looking at the um, combined measure and indicator, you're talking about uh, 28, uh, 20, 22.8 million tons at 2.26 percent. That's pretty punchy. You, you know, most people be happy with that in terms of, you know, where you've moved from the PFS to, to well, potentially what's you, you're going to be able to announce in October. But the market reaction yesterday was muted, let's say. You know, you got a bit of a reaction, but I would, I would have thought you'd have got more. Were you expecting more? You know, I, I think, to be honest, uh, yeah, I think I, I would have expected a little bit more, but I think also... We're seeing a better reaction today in the market. And I think, you know, this is being digested. It's very new, uh, especially the open pit scenario is very new. This project has been marketed for 20 years being an underground only scenario, right? And so this is a significant change. And, you know, we went in this direction. Um, you know, we, we, when we started our feasibility study last year, you know, we went, we were continuing going down that path of an underground only scenario. 
is when we started doing the trade-off studies at a feasibility study level back in January and February. And, you know, listen, everybody knows you open pit something that makes a hell of a lot more sense because your mining, your mining costs come down significantly. So we started doing the trade-offs. And now listen, to be honest too, um, you know, you, you've also got to take this um, cautiously because when you go to open pit, all of a sudden the first response to people is, well, hold on, is there going to be greater permitting concerns? You know, um, and that, that stands on two fronts with us, with our First Nation partners and with government. Uh, you know, how, how are open pits construed from a permitting perspective? So, you know, when we first looked at the potential benefits of it, you know, I also needed to make sure that before we, we committed in this direction, that I, you know, wasn't going to run into any roadblocks with my First Nations partners and or, you know, government from the side of permitting. And so having those conversations, now listen, we still have to do things properly and we still have to address all the technical risks and we still have to move that forward. But from a conceptual standpoint, not a problem. And if you look at the jurisdiction, there's a number of companies up there running open pits uh, in Tultan Nation territory. So we're in a very, very friendly mining juris uh, uh, jurisdiction within BC. You know, like British Columbia has got its pockets, but where we are on the map, there's a number of projects in production. So, you know, we don't expect uh, much pushback on the permitting side. We think it's going to go through well. And again, you know, so I think people are digesting this news. I think they're looking at the opportunity. I think, um, you know, we've got, uh, listen, I've got no, in the last year, I've had no shortage of phone calls from strategics or institutional investors. Again, I go back to your, they're like, well, this is interesting, but can you show us more? Can you show us more? And there's this buildup into this, again, the feasibility study, because this has been somewhat of an untrusted, you know, asset from the past. So, I, you know, I believe that this is, um, you know, over the next six weeks, uh, and we'll be talking more about now with this big pivot in the open pit, what that means to exploration opportunities, not only, you know, around the pit, but greenfield stuff, as well as, you know, a few other things leading up into the feasibility study. Um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, this will, will start catching a little more attention here and more prominently over the course of the next period. Okay. Cause, cause I think the thing people are looking forward to try to understand is, you know, what does the new NPV look like? What will the new CapEx look like? Because the, the previous ratio was a, well, you know, nearly one to one, right? It, 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 it wasn't pretty in terms of going out and raising capital to do that project. Do you think that this is going to be more financeable as a result of the work that you've done? This is kind of pivot. I think it's, I think this project, again, I think it'll be financeable and attractive for a number of reasons. Um, you know, listen, we've, we've increased throughput. So by nature, your capital will go up. It's a bigger plant. It's a bigger facility. But, um, you know, listen, anything these days, you know, sub 500, sub 400 million in capital is very attractive. You know, these, it's the, the issue. And, you know, you think back to 2011, 2012, these multi-billion dollar capital projects. I mean, everybody got stung. And even today, you know, it's guys are still very cautious. Um, it's still hard to get those financed. Um, but you know, sub 500 million, that's a niche. That's, that's a sweet spot. I mean, that's, that's financeable. Now don't forget part of that wheat and stream is, you know, they're going to be paying us about 70 to $75 million for that stream. That's development capital money. So I've got a big portion of that coming in, um, to help finance the, the build on this thing. 
So I think we're in a sweet spot with respect to, and I can't specifically say where, where I think we're going to land yet on development capital, but I think we're in a sweet spot with respect to financing, um, you know, this size of project and that type of capital. Um, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the metric of, you know, it's two to one cap. I mean, there's, there's other things to look at. And that I think there's more important ratios to look at. Um, Such as? You know, you're looking at IRR. Such you're as? looking at IRR. Okay. Cash flow and IRR. I mean, that's those are big drivers. And MPV. You know, I think cash flow, IRR, MPV um, over a two to one capital versus, <clears throat> you know, MPV ratio. Um, and I, you know, I think this will be um, very attractive from those perspectives. Okay. Um, well, it, it also helps us understand that the type of funder that you're going to probably move to, because again, yeah, there hasn't been much conversation about, you know, drilling or exploration or resource building here, right? S to get, get to that scale, you're focused on getting into production. That, that seems to be the management's, uh, you know, in, intent to show the market. We can, we think we can get into economic production with this, with the numbers we've got today. Is that, is that fair to say? Correct. Right. And then with the upside and then potential. Right, and then you'll focus on that. Okay, and, and, that, and that's and that's fair enough because obviously money's money's tight. I know you raised it four million bucks in in four point one million bucks in 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 June. Um, that that was really to do what get you to the point where the feasibility could actually be published, and um, then you'll reassess. You know what you need to do next. Correct, and so, but also, <clears throat> I think you may have seen or noticed the, and this was um, a big one. Uh, the press release with respect to the royalty buyback. Yeah, so and the offtake. Yeah. <clears throat> so we we I wanted the money for that as well, and this has been something I've wanted to do for years because, you know, listen, it's nice to buy back that royalty, and trust me, the impact compared to what we paid, uh, even on the MPV, is significant. So we got it. We got a great deal, and I thanks thanks Sumitomo for that. Um, but the bigger piece of that. And why I really wanted to get it done is that there was a rofer on the offtake. Okay. Now, with that rofer gone, it opens me up to do a strategic deal with an offtaker. And that can be very, very lucrative. And that can be, if, if done properly, that can be very lucrative and help provide the capital to, you know, build the asset again. And we've seen guys, we've seen guys like Traffy or we've seen guys like Glencore do this with a lot of different people and get involved, get involved from an equity perspective, get involved from a lending perspective against an offtake and do these strategic deals. So that's, that was why I was so interested in getting that, you know, it was about the rofer on the offtake and about obviously about the royalty. Um, but that sets me up. And I think this asset will be set up uh, to do something strategic from that perspective. Brilliant. I did want to get into that because I wanted, I wanted to understand the significance of the, of the, the timing and, uh, and understand what it cost you. Um, so presumably, well, what did it cost you? It was three and a half million US, I believe, right. in overstaged payments. Got it. Okay. How are we doing for cash right now? Cash, we're good. Um, we're good. Uh, and again, I raised that money to get us, you know, get us through feasibility study. I want the posted feasibility study. And again, I think, you know, the way I'm reading this is that once um, I get that feasibility study out there and given the interest levels that I've had, now listen, I've, I'll tell you, I've turned down money in the last year. Um, I've, I've been very surgical in how I've raised my capital. Again, I'm very cap table 
focused. So, you know, I could have raised a lot more money in the past um, at, at the prices I did were those financings you saw. Um, you know, my intent is, you know, I think personally, uh, there's there should be a significant re-rate uh, after the feasibility study. I think it's going to surprise. And, um, you know, and I think um, there's a big institutional audience, the bankers out there looking for good copper stories. Um, you know, this is going to be, you know, a foreseeable endeavor. I think people are pretty happy about where they see base metals in the coming years. Um, so, you know, my, my, um, my path here is to, you know, kind of max or minimize dilution, maximize opportunity and, and with the right investors. And if it's a combination of strategic investors that I can tie something in with, that's going to come after feasibility study at some point. And uh, I think it's going to be at higher prices. That's my objective. Yeah, and I hear that a lot, right? You know, you know, the people waiting for for catalyst moments, and they, they come, they go. Sometimes they they happen, sometimes they don't, right? But just to answer the question on the cash point at the moment, are you running it to the wire? As in, are you going to be running on vapor, waiting for this re-rate, or do you think you're? If you don't no, get the re-rate that you want, is it just going to be? It's going to be expensive money for you to raise? No, I'm not running on vapor. Um, I manage my cash flow very, very carefully. I always give myself some runway. So no, I've got built in runway uh, to, to, you know, uh, deal with all those circumstances, um, if they were to occur. Right. So tell me about some of the questions with these, uh, some of these conversations with the institutions, because, you know, if you're right, and they're waiting, they're looking for big copper stories. And I believe that we're we're struggling to find any decent copper stories, right? You know, there's, there's a there's a handful of obvious ones. And but there's a lot of retreads, a lot of trying, try hard, try hard stories, and not a lot of good stories out there. So if the, if you get the feasibility study right, and you can present that to the institutional market, are have you had or are you aware of institutions who are waiting for that information? You know, have you had conversations? Are you going to get that positive response? How sure are you? Well, listen, um, as they say. <laughs> There's there's nothing sure in life other than taxes and death, right? Uh, but uh, I listen. I'm um, I'm confident. I I just you know I've I've been in this a long time, and I can I can feel the the um, I guess the 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 pent up or the built up kind of like wait and see kind of. So I need to deliver. You know, we need to deliver as a team as a CEO. You know, into those expectations. Um, I think that they're there. And, and like, again, as, um, as you said, and I'm not just saying this, you know, listen, we, we've been out looking for additional assets for the last two or three years. What I think Cucho actually lends itself to is it's a phenomenal benchmark project. So there's another opportunity here. You know, what, whether our exit looks like, you know, we get taken out. Or it's it's a roll-up strategy, you know, with other good kind of you know small high margin assets out there to really create maybe this next mid-tier type you know producer because there's a major gap in North America with respect to to these mid-tier type producers. You had, I mean, well, listen, things have changed for like the Capstones and the Copper Mountains and that they've had significant share price increases, uh, but before that, you know, you had all these kind of you know smaller guys. Um, then you have this massive delta up to like the Hud Bays, the Lundines, the first quantums. There was nobody that really fit that bill in the middle. Where they existed was maybe down south in you know Australia, South Africa. They've got producers that kind of fit that gap. Um, so 
there's a number of different opportunities I see for us, again, post-feasibility study, because I'm not just talking about, you know, have my phone's been ringing with institutional investors. It's been ringing with, you know, strategic investors or corporate opportunities. Um, and again, they're all waiting to see the feasibility study. It's, it's a common theme and I can understand it. And that's just what, you know, that's what we have to deal with right now. Um, so, you know, that's, um, that's I'm, I'm, I'm excited to start again re-engaging in those conversations because we've already had a lot of them. Okay, so like um, I think I think probably you heard quite a good version of the story today already. Um, I maybe if you come back on, we can we can sort of get into the weeds with a few other things. So obviously, I, I saw the economic participation agreement with the First Nations. Really, really critical, important that you know that 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 happens, and um, so that was that was good to read. Um, perhaps. We should wait until you can come back and talk to actual numbers with the actual feasibility study. I know it's kind of taken a little bit longer than you'd hoped. So what, what's the date we're looking for? What's the timing we're looking for, Vince? Uh, near the end of October. Near the end of October. Okay, end of October. We, we, we should uh, see that. Well, that, that will be a great moment. And uh, I should say we'll be looking for that re-rate um, and market reaction to that. So, look, I appreciate your time today, Vince. Uh, good story. Enjoy listening to it. Thank you. So Matt, thank you very much for having me today. Uh, this is fantastic. I look forward to you know sharing more um, more of what's happening in the future with you, and you know just to leave people with uh, with uh, you know a few thoughts here. Um, you know, listen, Cucho represents um, something that uh, you know we believe is a very clear path to production. So this is an advanced stage asset. We've taken a lot of risk out of this. We've de-risked this significantly, and the feasibility study will be a significant de-risk point. Uh, you know, from there. I think, you know, you still have the opportunity here and we can talk more about this in the future again about, you know, even making this bigger and better. We have lots of exploration upside on this asset. So, you know, that that's going to be coming. You'll see more news about that in the coming week or two as well. Um, so and, you know, third, listen, there just aren't, as we discussed, all the good copper assets out there. So I think the market um, with respect to, you know, where the money wants to go is really trying to find stories like this. So if we do our job properly um, and, you know, we surprise and we do this feasibility study right, I think it's got a, a really good chance of focusing that capital on stories like Kucho. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.